And uh, uh, we've been uh, studying from uh, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah uh, over the summer, these past few weeks. And uh, man, it's been good to get in there. I remember when we first opened the message, um, the sermon series, and we talked about Nehemiah was one of the greatest leadership books written of all time. And um, excuse me, a little bit of uh, coffee uh, in the throat there. But um, Nehemiah was one of the greatest leadership books of all time, and uh, we can extract so many great principles from Nehemiah for our life. You know, we can extract principles of how to live for God's glory, and we can extract principles in how to love and to lead and to serve others. Amen. And um, oh man, coffee. Sorry. Hopefully, I don't have that too much this morning, but. Um, Nehemiah, he's just a great man of God. And uh, a little bit about who Nehemiah was is uh, he was a Jew who was born into captivity. And he, somehow he rose up the ranks and he became the cupbearer to the king. And believe it or not, the cupbearer to the king was a prestigious job. I mean, I don't know in, in this day and age, but if you're a cupbearer to king, you were there to what? Sample the food and the wine. And if it wasn't poison and you didn't drop over, it was good enough. And we might see that as a little bit of a weird job, right? But back then, it was a prestigious job. So Nehemiah, he had access to the king. He ate the great food. He ate, you know, drank the great wine and all that stuff. And he had uh, just full access there. And somehow God raised him up for such a time as this. And he inquired about his homeland, about his home people, because he was born in uh, the kingdom of Persia under King Artaxerxes. And so he inquired from his brother about, you know, how are things going back in Jerusalem? And he said, you know, how are things going in the province of Judah? And he got the report saying that, you know what, uh, things are not going well. It's just the walls are broken down. People are just living just, uh, just not desirable conditions for God and not the way that God designed this and everything. And so he, got, he, he just got really upset about that. And the Bible says that he fasted and prayed and mourned. He heard about this problem and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed. And so many times a leadership principle for us is like, you know, we hear about a problem, right? And all of a sudden we want to launch out and go right after that and fix that thing right away. And so what we find out and what we see is there is when we get into chapter two is that Nehemiah, it was about four months for him before God actually worked on his behalf and softened the king's heart. And I don't know about you, but I was thinking about that. How many times have problems come into my life and I wanted to launch out and fix it right away? Come on, all you problem fixers, problem solvers right there. We want to fix those problems right away. But Nehemiah spent time praying and fasting, and mourning, and preparing, and planning behind the scenes. And we see that eventually one day he was in the king's presence. He was sad because he wasn't supposed to be sad in the king's presence, right? And the king just asked him, he said, why, what, what's this sadness? It can only be sadness of your heart because he knew that if he was sad in the king's presence, the king could take off his head, basically. You weren't allowed to do that in this position. Pretty pretty strong um, uh, job requirements there to be happy in the king's presence all the time. So anyways, he found out that, you know, my, my homeland is destroyed and, you know, the gates are uh, uh, broken down and, you know, and he said, well, what do you want from me? And then he prayed and then he asked me, he said, would you send me? And of course, we find out that he sends him. 
The king sends him. He found it in his good pleasure to send him. He actually gives him uh, letters to go and to, to not have any trouble in his passageway. He gives him another letter to get the timber from the, the forest there that the king kind of owned and all that stuff. And, and he gets all this stuff and he's sent on his way. And he did it God's will, God's way. And so we talked about there's perfect timing in God's will. God's never late. Sometimes he's early, but he's always on time. And little things that we can extract in our life as we're leading others and leading our families and leading our businesses and our community. That we pray, we plan, and we see how God comes through. And so then he gets back into uh, Judea and Jerusalem there, and uh, he, he gets the whole community together, and the community all comes together, and every person has their part, right? And there, there, it wasn't just the bricklayers or, or, or the people who knew how to do the physical labor. It was everybody. It was the priest. It was the, the people who were selling the perfumes. It was all that different stuff, and they all came together. And that's just like the church, the body of Christ. We all come together to bring God glory to serve the kingdom. And it's so awesome, the power of community and what God does. And we should all be in community. And we're in community here on Sunday, but we also have the small groups that we can be in community. And we'll talk more about that in the near future. And so that was the power of community. And then we see uh, in chapter four, a couple weeks ago, we see the first bit of opposition. Because what we said, whenever you step out to live holy for God, whenever you step out to do something for God that he calls you to do, you will get opposition. The Christian life is not just about, oh, you know, bless me and, 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 and I receive my salvation and all that's good, but you will receive trials and you will face trials and opposition in this life. Jesus faced trials. Jesus was a man from God and he lived a perfect and sinless life, yet he was lied about, schemed about, and he faced all the trials and he was put on a cross for our salvation. So if Jesus faced trials and opposition, what makes us think that we won't face any trials and opposition? Amen? But we had some ways to defeat that. And then we moved on. And last week, um, Hal Haller came and he spoke a great message uh, out of chapter 5. I'm so glad to hear that it went really well because I know this. I told Hal, I said, man, I'm excited that everybody said it went well. You preached it exactly the way I wrote it for you. Thank you, Hal, for doing that. I'm just teasing. Hal, Hal did a great job. It was funny. He got in late, and I can remember telling uh, Jamie, uh, I said, hey, you know, he's flying back the night before, and I'm going to be in Florida, so you can text me, but I'm not going to be there, so you might need a devotional. And sure enough, uh, that morning I got a text from Hal, and he said, man, we barely made it. We had no pilot, and, you know, I'm here on my third cup of coffee. And I just gave him, praise God. I'll check in later. I'm on vacation. But he did a great job. He talked about, you know, there was things going on in Judea and Jerusalem there, and, and, and just things were not right. The nobles were taking advantage of, of people with lesser means, and then there needed to be unity, and Nehemiah stepped up, and he led the charge there. And it's the same thing with us as a church and in our lives. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are to step up and to serve those, not neglect those, and not lord over those that God gives us the ability and the opportunity to serve. Amen? And so this brings us to Nehemiah chapter 6 here. And uh, today, um, I want to talk about the power to persevere. The power to persevere. And you know, the word persevere, we don't use that word a whole lot. It's a biblical word. Um, but um, that word persevere, what it really means is that it means that uh, to not give up, to stay the course, to hang on, to persevere. 
And again, we see here in Nehemiah chapter 6 that he faces the enemies again, and we're going to see how he fights them, but not with force. He fights them with perseverance. And, you know, maybe you today, uh, you don't have enemies per se, and you're like, you know, I, I really don't have, like, enemies or something like that, but, you know, I might have a few people that dislike me or something, but how is that really going to help me or something? And here's the thing. Every single one of us in here, you may not have enemies like Nehemiah did, but every single one of us in here, we have a common enemy. And that enemy is Satan. And Satan's enemy, he's the enemy, and his job is to steal, kill, and destroy. If you're a Christian, he is after your life. And if you are even a non-Christian, he is after your life. Because everything that God builds up, Satan only wants to do is tear down. So we need to understand you may not have enemies just like Nehemiah did, but every single one of us has an enemy in real life. Now, he can't touch us. He can't do anything to us. We can open up our life and allow him to come in, right? That's another message for another time. But there are certain ways that we can defeat the enemies that come against us. And so today, we're going to look at how to persevere and defeat opposition when it comes against us. The first thing that we need to understand is that there is danger of compromising with the enemy. There is danger of compromising with the enemy. You know, every single one of us, just like Nehemiah, are tempted to compromise. Every single one of us, every single day, every single week, compromise comes in. It's temptation that comes in our life, compromise. And that necessarily isn't a sin, but it's when we enter into those temptations, when we compromise against God's word. And Katie just read the scripture there, uh, but going back to it real quick, we see that um, uh, these men, Simbao, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of their enemies, uh, they had come. And, you know, we, we saw in the previous chapter the ridicule and the fear and the intimidation and everything. So now they see that the wall is halfway done. It's completed all around. It's about halfway up. The doors are not in place yet, but they've done a great work so far. And they're like, man, what's going on here? And so they decide another trick or a tactic, and they try to bring compromise, and they send a bunch of guys there. Uh, they send messengers there, and they say, you know what, Nehemiah, why don't you come meet with us? Let's have a conference. Let's, let's, let's conference together. Let's meet together. Let's talk about this. And Nehemiah, being a man of God and understanding this, I love this. He says this. He says, he, he sent this back. He sent the messengers. He said this reply. He said, I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave, leave it and go down? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. It's like this. It's like Paul tells us in the scripture, he tells us that when we hear God's word, when God speaks to us, when God gives us something to do, we're to stand firm and we're to hold fast to the teachings that he has taught us. Paul says that when we get God's word, we're to hold fast. And see, here's where compromise comes in. A lot of times people think compromise is like, and it doesn't happen like this. Compromise is, I, I, I'm holding strong, I'm holding fast to God's word, what he told me to do, but yet all of a sudden like that. And that's not how compromise works. Compromise works when God speaks to us, when we get convicted by the word, when whatever it is, and we start to hold fast to that, and then all of a sudden, just a little bit at a time, it's one finger. And then we start loosening up, it's two fingers. Well, you know, everybody else is doing this, and, 
if I just do it this one time and I didn't get caught this one time or something, now it's three fingers. And all of a sudden, it's four fingers. And then the next thing you know, we continue to compromise. And there's a gap between we are and where God's word is. God says, hold fast to his word. Stay strong to his word. Nehemiah stood strong and did not compromise with the enemy. And on and in itself, a little conference, you know, maybe these guys want to come in and maybe they want to bless us and maybe they want to work with us. And it sounds real good. But Nehemiah understood there was a very big difference. And see, the key, the compromise, and here's the thing, compromise in itself sometimes is not always bad. But the key is, is that we need to understand that to avoid the danger of compromise, we need to know the difference between what is essential and what is preferential. What is essential and what is preferential. We do not compromise on essential things. Now, we can compromise on preferential things. I mean, you, you work compromise all the time. Let's just think about this, husband and wife in your own home right there, the, the temperature wars. I like the temperature at 62 degrees in the summer and nice and cold with icicles hanging off the windows. My wife likes the temperature at like 76 degrees with blankets pulled up in the summer, mind you, in the summer. So I compromise with her. I go from 62 to 63. It's not much of a compromise, but you understand, we, we, we work it out, but you, we, there, there's some compromise. It's not an essential thing. Well, churches face this all the time. Compromise between what is essential and what is preferential. We don't compromise over the word of God. We don't compromise that Jesus Christ is his one and only son. We don't compromise over that God created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them. We don't compromise over that God created them male and female in his image. We don't compromise over that. I understand the world is trying to throw all that down our throats and everything. We are sensitive to the people. We pray for them. We love them in the name of Jesus. But God's word is God's word. I didn't write it. He did. If we compromise on that, we're saying, God, you're wrong. We're right. We're smarter than you. So we don't compromise on the essential things. But churches, they compromise and can compromise on preferential things all the time. Like, number one, the color of the carpet. How many of you have ever heard or been or, or heard of some really good church fights? Come on, I know we've all heard of some of those things, right? There was, there was a Twitter account that was set up, and uh, this Twitter account was, it said, uh, go ahead and um, um, comment here on the greatest church fights that you've heard about preferential things. And so I'm going to read a couple of them for you here. The first one, this church had a, a, a monthly dinner, and, 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 and they got into a big fight and they called a business meeting over this dinner because part of the church wanted to call it a potluck and the other part of the church wanted to call it a pot blessing. <laughs> These people over here, they said, there's no luck in the Bible and, you know, and I don't understand any of that and everything, but yet we're going to call it a pot blessing. I don't even know how that works. I mean, it rolls off the tongue just like that, right? And I mean, that might mean different things now in this day and age, especially in Rhode Island, right? Hey, we're going to have a pot blessing. Ooh, that might sound really well to the unsaved people. Maybe we should do that as I'm preaching it through here. We're going to have a pot blessing with a potluck of food, and we're going to preach the name of Jesus and leave your pot outside. 
just weird. Um, another church, uh, they had uh, this fight over preferential. Uh, the worship leader's shoes, should they keep them on or off? We've, some, we've seen, I'm thankful that our worship leaders keep their shoes on. Mike, if you're listening, keep your shoes on, bro. And Carol. <laughs> he won't now. <laughs> They're not on now. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but another church, uh, they had a piece of property. And again, uh, they wanted to decide what to do with it. And again, part of the church wanted to build a cemetery. And the other half of the church wanted to build a playground for the kids. Now, I hope they didn't build both because we just don't know. That would be kind of weird or something, you know, and the kids would be real freaked out. But uh, the difference between what's essential and preferential. And then this other thing here, too, and I saw this happen at my former church, uh, communion or the Lord's Supper. Uh, the grape juice ran out, and so somebody went to the store in this church, and they bought cranberry grape juice. Oh, no, you just don't do that. <laughs> cranberry grape juice. And Jesus is up there in heaven saying, what are these people doing? I can remember at my former church there in Chets Creek in Jacksonville, and uh, this actually happened one time. Uh, again, same thing. Uh, they ran out of juice, and we were in the back, and some of the pastors and elders, we had to hand out the trays to the ushers. And we gave out the first tray, and then it was everything good. And then, you know, it was when they, we would pass things around before COVID and everything. And then the second tray, and then the third tray, it had white grape juice in there. And I can remember a couple of us pastors looking at each other, and we're like, is this going to work? And it was just like, yes, it's grape juice. It's just white. And see, Jesus never stood up or wrote this when he said, when you take the Lord's Supper, do whatever it is to remember me and drink the same exact wine as I do and eat the exact same kind of bread as I do. He said, whenever you partake in the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me. We don't even eat the same bread that Jesus ate back in the day. I mean, we've got those, those fun little chalices that, you know, it's hard to get into with that delicious wafer right there. I mean, I, think about those at the Last Supper. Uh, Jesus is breaking the bread. Hold on. Wait a minute. Here you go. Here's your little chalice. Anyway, we don't compromise on the essentials, but there can be compromising on the preferentials. There's a lot of things in this word of God that we're not going to know here on earth. If you know of the beast in Revelation and the third horn on the second beast, and you know what that stands for, more of the power to you, I don't know. But that's a preferential thing. But what I do know is this, is that God created us. We have sin. He sent Jesus. It's a free gift of grace, and we can receive his free gift of grace by simply just opening up our hearts and inviting him into our life. We don't compromise on that. One preacher that I like to listen to, he said this. He said, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. There's plenty of main things in this book that we can continue to build our life on this earth according to Christ. Amen? So when you get into that situation you can ask yourself this question when somebody's trying to make you compromise a little bit. You're holding fast, and, and, and you can ask this question. Do these people or does this person, do they want what's best for me? And you can know this for a fact that the enemy does not want what's best for you. The enemy does not want what's best for you or I. 
He wants to tear us down. He wants to break everything down in our life that we are building up according to God's word and God's pattern. Amen? So the first thing is that there is danger in compromising with the enemy. The second trick of the enemy is this, is there is danger of worrying about what others are saying about you. The danger of worrying about what others say about you. Nehemiah 6, 5 through 9 says this. He says, then the fifth time, it's kind of like your phone keeps ringing and it's that people wanting to talk to you about your uh, outdated um, warranty for your car. Just on stop, non stop. These guys are going on and on and on. He says, then the fifth time, Sinbout sent his aid to me with the same message. And it says, his hand, was, and, in, and in his hand was an unsealed letter, which was written. We'll come back to that in just a second. It was reported among the nations. And Geshem says, uh, it is true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports about you, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report, we'll get back to the king, so the, the king Artaxerxes, right? And he says, so come, let us confer together. I sent them this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening you are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. The danger of worrying about what others are saying about you. They wanted to go after Nehemiah's reputation. And the enemy wants to go after our reputation all the time. And, but Nehemiah had a great response here. And here's the thing. How did Nehemiah know kind of to discern this and everything. And, and if we go back here, it says um, that there was an unsealed letter uh, that came from uh, the king that was written there. And so back in the days, you know, I mean, I know today we write letters and we put them in envelopes and lick the envelope and send it. We probably don't lick the envelopes anymore because of COVID or anything, you know, who wants to do that? But, and it's gross anyways. But back then when they sent letters, what they would do is they would fold them up and they would melt the wax. And the king would have a signet ring or one of his servants that was trusted in that he would put his seal on that letter, right? And he would seal it shut. And so that way, that letter would get to where it's going without anybody else reading that. This letter was unsealed. So we don't know this messenger, whoever brought it to them, they could have stopped at the pub along the way and read it to everybody in the pub. They could have read it to whoever they want. The messenger probably read it a few times. It was like, oh, wow, look at this thing. Nehemiah thinks he's going to be a king over there in Judah. <laughs> We're going... And, and so then all of a sudden, the danger of worrying what others are saying. Now they start these rumors, and these rumors start to spread, and it just goes on and on. That's how rumors spread. But we need to understand that the danger of worry, that we need to know the difference between character and reputation. There's a big, big difference between the two, character and reputation. Character is who you are on the inside. Character is what God says about you, of what's true about you. God says, you're my child. I love you. This is who you are in Christ, your character about how you handle yourself according to God's word. The difference though, reputation is this, is when we all know this, and, and sometimes we struggle with these things, is who you are on the outside, and it's what other people say about you. We've all heard that, man, their reputation precedes them. That can be good or bad. But the difference is, is people on the outside can say whatever they want about you. And they can compromise you that way. But here's the thing. You can never be compromised about your own character. Nobody else can do that to you. 
or for you except you. So many times we hear of people who fell and, you know, they, they get into sin and everything. It's because they, they let their guard down. They compromise their character. Nehemiah was not going to compromise his character. He's just like, they're after me. There's rumors. I didn't say it. What you're saying is not happening. You're just making it up. And so there's a big, big difference. And what did Nehemiah do? How did he handle it? Number one, he refuted the rumor. Watch this. He refuted the rumor. Then he prayed. And then he went back to work. Man, what a simple thing to do. He refuted the rumor. Uh, nothing like what you were saying is happening. End of story. Didn't get all stressed out about it, freaked out about it. He prayed. And then he went back to work. You know, he could have fought fire with fire. He could have, you know what? Hey, let's all gather here and let's just go spread a bunch of nasty rumors about them. Let's, let's fight fire with fire and let's see what happens and let's see who God chooses. And we're going to get all in there. We're going to blab everything on Facebook, this, that, and the other thing. He could have done all that. But Nehemiah was so convicted and so committed to the word of God that he refuted the rumor he prayed, and he went back to work. And I love this prayer. He prayed, now strengthen my hands. We have work to do. And here's what I want to tell you, church, today. That when the enemy comes against you for whatever it is in your family, in your business, in your church, and we all have different situations and everything, I want you to just take a minute and just pray, God, strengthen my hands. I have work to do for your kingdom. I know it's a lot easier said than done, but so many times we say, okay, you know, I'm going to fight the good fight of faith, and that's all good and everything. But listen to how Nehemiah, he said, we've got work to do for God. The rumor, what you're saying is not true. I'm done with that. I'm moving on. I'm going to pray. And he prays, and then he says, strengthen my hands. Because, see, we all need strength to finish strong, amen? We all need strength because the world is coming at us a million miles a minute. All the different messages that come at us out there through social media. And I mean, we just live in a world that it just seems like it's gone to another level with the vitriol and the, the, just the stuff that's out there on social media. I mean, I can spend some time there and I'm like, I got to get out of this, man. I got to get clean. This is, this is rude and nasty. and It's vicious. I mean, I like to use social media to send pictures and stuff and for family that lives away so they can see that. And I do a lot of, uh, I read a lot of articles from different leadership things, but man, there's some stuff out there. And it's just like, God, I'm going to need your strength today because the, the, the vitriol against just Christians who are just trying to live a good life they're not being rude or arrogant or mean or pointing fingers out there at other people. But we've got to do what God calls us to do. It reminds me of a, a challenging scripture in Philippians 1.10. When Paul says this, he says, he says, For am I trying to please men or Christ? And I'm summarizing here a little bit. He says, If I am trying to please men, then I would not be a servant of Christ. These temptations come against us all the time but we cannot compromise. We need to know what is essential and what is preferential. And we also need to understand the difference between character and reputation. The enemy is going to come at us like a flood, but when we hold fast to God's word, when we lean into God's word, when we press into God's word, and it might be just that one scripture for the day. I understand there's different levels of Bible reading and all that stuff and prayer. But listen, 
God can meet you right where you are at with him. If you're feeling weak, get into his word. Maybe it's just a psalm. Maybe it's just one verse from a psalm. Get around other people so they can pray for you and encourage you. Build up your character and help you look at that as opposed to reputation. They can discern that with you. Godly men and women. When we surround ourselves, we talked about community. We're not going to go back into that day. But this will help you when the enemy comes, and he will come. The next trick or tactic that uh, we, maybe we can see that Nehemiah trusts is that Nehemiah will trust, maybe if we, Nehemiah trusts to get him to do the wrong thing. Get somebody that he trusts and get him to do the wrong thing. And number three is this, the danger of trusting the wrong people. The danger of trusting the wrong people. Sometimes the right people can actually be the wrong people, and we have to discern that. Back here in Nehemiah 6, 10 through 14 says this. It says, one day I went to the house of Shemaiah. I knew there would be big words in this one again, so maybe I should have had Pat read this section. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. And he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. That's pretty serious, right? But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent them, him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sembalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sembalat, oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. This guy tried to get Nehemiah to hide in the temple. And see, on the surface there, that wouldn't be a big deal. Wait a minute. You got a safe place? We can go? These people are coming to try to kill me? I can go hide in the temple with you. You're going to help me? You're going to lock the doors? This is going to keep me safe. But here's what Nehemiah knew. Nehemiah understood God's word, and he understood the temple system because he understood God's word. And see, if you remember the temple there in the Old Testament, uh, there was a temple, and there was outer courts uh, where people who were not Jews could hang out, and then there was inner courts, and then there was holy of holies and all the courts and everything. And basically, what it came down to was in the temple itself, there was where the, uh, the priests could go right outside there, and then within the Holy of Holies, only the high priest could go there once a year for the forgiveness of sins. And Nehemiah understood that he was neither a priest nor a high priest, and he, according to their word and their law, was not allowed to go into the temple. He understood God's word. Nehemiah was just a regular citizen, and he was not allowed to go in there. And so what sounds real good in somebody that you know and trust, and they try to give you this advice, and it goes against God's word. Let me tell you this. It is not good advice if it does not line up with God's word. There's a lot of good advice out there that is not God advice, amen? I always say this. Good advice is good, but make sure you apply the good to God and see if there's one too many O's in there. Because good advice can be good. But we've got to apply that advice to God's word. And God's word has the final say and authority on everything. 
And I understand, you know, we've got to spend time in there getting to know him and know his word. That's why we do, you know, things like scripture memorization and stuff. And it just helps you with your walk with God. But when you know God's word, like Nehemiah knew his word, he knew that, wait a minute, I can't go in the temple. This guy's lying. And not only that, he's trying to get me to commit a sin and to sin against God. So if it's it's not good advice, if it does not line up with God's word, see, because God's word has everything we need and how to live this life on earth it has everything in there. You might not think it's up to speed and up to date and it's not modern or everything. I guarantee you, if you do your research or sit down with somebody who's a little bit further in God's word, they can show you how it lines up and how it will help you live a life that is pleasing to him to avoid the danger of trusting the wrong people. Again, we got to know the difference between Good advice and God's word. Sometimes the safe thing or the easy thing to do is not necessarily the right thing. All we have to do is look at the world's advice and the word's advice. What does the world say? The world says, look out for number one. The word says, deny yourselves. The world's advice says, take care of yourself. The word says, serve others. The world's advice says, get all that you can. Hoard everything. Get up. Make as much as you can. God's word says, give, and it will be given to you. The world says, get stressed out about everything. God's word says, bless others. Because when you bless others, you take your eyes off your own issues. Not that you don't need ministry. I understand that. But you start to understand that you are blessed to be a blessing no matter where you are in life. And we see God just build us up and build us up and build us up when we do things according to his word. Is it good advice or is it God's advice? Big, big difference there. Trusting the wrong people. Sometimes people that are even close to us. I can remember real quick when we were in Jacksonville, not for vacation, but four and a half years ago, when we decided to answer the call to, for me to move back to Rhode Island and for Katie and our boys to move for the first time. And I can remember this was a time of like we were praying and fasting and, and, and getting you know, good counsel from my senior pastor and, and, and just some other elders and, and men of God that I trusted. And she was speaking to women of God. And I can remember just good meaning people would say things like, why are you going to New England? The weather up there is terrible. You don't want to do that. You've got a great job here. It's easy for you here. You can get on the retired on active duty plan here, the road plan. Whoever's been in the military, you know what that means. And what sounded like some good advice from people, oh, the cost of living and everything. And I can remember Katie would get frustrated a little bit there. And she's like, all these people, and they're not happy for us. And I said, listen, listen, we're following God. We're following his word. And we're not moving to New England because of the weather, lack thereof, or this. Now, maybe in January or February, you might talk, it'll be a little bit different, but I'm, I'm teasing. We're moving because God sovereignly called us to come back for me to work with this church planting organization that I work with to help plant churches, to build up leaders, to come alongside and to see more church planters and more leaders get raised up in this New England area. When I left over 25 years ago with the Navy to take me in to Jacksonville, Florida, I never thought that I was coming. It wasn't like I forsook it, but I didn't see that I was coming back. God had different plans. Even in our own family, 
Not that they were being uh, uh, bad intention, but they're like, why do you want to come back to New England? And it's just like, listen, we're following God. I know you don't understand. Thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's go have some clam cakes and chatter. <laughs> but we've got to understand the difference between good advice and God's word. And then the closing truth is this, is that if we're going to avoid the dangers of compromise, worry, and misplaced trust will enable us to persevere and accomplish God's mission for us. And closing here in Nehemiah 6, 15 through 16, it says this, so the wall was completed in 52 days. When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. 52 days, probably one of the fastest construction projects you've ever seen. I can tell you it's a lot faster than the construction here in Rhode Island in the roads, right? But 52 days to rebuild this wall completely. And how did they do it? Because God was with them. And the others around them will say, wow, how did this happen? And that's the difference between launching out on our own self, on our own time, and our own power, and our own strength. And yes, God's given us all those things, but we're to take those under submission to God's word and God's authority and God's timing. And they saw that in their enemies all around them. They were much bigger. They were much stronger. They probably had a lot more weapons, a lot more finances. They could come at them at any time and stop the work, but yet God did not allow the work to stop. Nehemiah had a vision from God. Nehemiah stayed true to the vision from God. Did he have discouraging times? Sure. Do we all have discouraging times? Yes. Do we all have struggles? Yes. But here's the thing. Nehemiah did not give up because he found in him the power to persevere. And that, church, is where we find strength. We find power to persevere in the presence and the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave us his Holy Spirit. He gave us his word. And he gave us his church to build one another up. And here, I want to just share this today here, that if you're struggling and going through a hard time, that's understandable. God sees it, and God knows that. And here, I'm also sharing that don't give up. God has not forgot about you. God has not forgot about you one bit. Survey your circumstances. Survey what are you doing. Are you getting into his word? Are you reading some of the resources that people are sharing with you? Are you praying? Are you reaching out? Are you going to church? Are you watching other messages online? Are you getting your mind and your heart soaked and filled with God's word because there's only real power in him and his presence. We can go ahead and we can attack the problem, the situation, our own strength. And uh, I'm, I'm one to uh, confess here. I've done that many times and I've made a complete colossal mess and disaster of that. But the more and more I understand doing it in God's timing in God's presence and God's word and getting other men and women of God around and praying things through, the more I see the ability to persevere in his presence for his kingdom. Amen. So bow your heads, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning, God. We thank you that we can persevere according to everything that you want to do in our life. God, you've given each and every single one of us a vision and a plan. We've got work to do for you. But God, we know that the enemy will come in 
and to try to break things down in our life. The enemy will come against us to steal, kill, and destroy, to ridicule, to mock, to, to bring fear and intimidation. But we know, God, that we can combat that with the power of your word. And Lord, I pray that each and every single one of us, God, when compromise and temptation comes at us, God, that we would hold fast. God, that we wouldn't even let a finger go. And if we do, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just give us that still small voice to grab on tighter to your word, God, and to hold fast to your word, God. Help us to not worry about what others are saying about us. God, help us to discern the real difference between character and reputation, God. Help us to focus on character, God. Help us to focus on why it's more important what you say about us than what others say about us, God. And God, just like Nehemiah, God, help us to not trust the wrong people with good advice that's really not God's advice. Lord, we just want to do your will, your way, God. And I pray for encouragement for every single one of us in here today. I thank you for Refuge Church. I thank you for this community. I thank you for just what you're doing now and in the future, God. Help us to continue to build and rebuild the walls of this church in the community, God. We pray for other churches in the community too, God. I pray for New England, God. We pray for salvation in New England, God. We pray for those that have fallen away from you and stepped away from you, God, that they would come back to you, Lord. I pray, Lord, as they see the world is just kind of just going away by its own thing and and all the craziness of inflation and this, that, and the other thing, God, I pray, Lord, that they would turn to you because that's truly where our only trust can be. Government's not going to bring the answer, God. They bring temporary solutions in certain ways, God, but ultimately we need more of you. So, God, right now, in the quietness of our hearts, we invite more of your presence, more of your power, and more of your peace in our life. We give you all the praise this morning. And God, I just pray for anyone in here that does not know your son Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Maybe they were serving him at one time and they received your free gift of grace, but they've kind of fallen away. God, I pray for anyone in here that they would say, I need to get right with you, God. I pray, Lord, that they would just open up their hearts and just say this simple prayer in their hearts. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. Thank you for coming into my life, saving me, setting me free. And from this day forward, I'm going to walk in your presence and your power and your peace. Help me to get rooted and grounded in your word. Help me to get rooted and grounded in a Bible-believing church that serves you, God, and serves others. Help me to get rooted in community, Father. And God, I want to build up the walls of my life so I can be a servant for you. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.